Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Sip With Me. I'm your host, Ioana Kekados. And I'm your host, Aaron Carlson. We're releasing an episode for you every Monday at 10.30 a.m. Central Time, which means you can listen to us during your commute, after work workout, or even enjoy a drink with us during your very own Monday night happy hour. And who doesn't like to have a little fun on a Monday night? Don't forget to subscribe, review, and share our show. And be sure to follow us at sipwithme underscore for the latest episode updates, news, and all of our favorite cocktail concoctions. Hey guys, and welcome to our 20th episode of season four. For this week's cocktail, we are so excited to be featuring Luke, also known as Apprentice Booze Hound on Instagram. He shared with us his favorite cocktail creation, the black and white daiquiri. Take it away, Luke. G'day, sip with me, listeners. My name's Luke, and I'm from Melbourne, Australia, and I run a cocktail Instagram page called The Apprentice Booze Hound. I started this during lockdown as a way to keep myself entertained, get into a bit of mischief around the kitchen, and whip up some really delicious, tasty drinks. Uh, I'm having a bloody good time doing it. A complete amateur, I'd never really made too many cocktails before, was formerly more of a beer drinker. This has really allowed me to open up my eyes to what's out there, to try a whole bunch of different things, to stretch myself a little bit, to make a mess and have a bloody good time. I guess currently my signature drink or the the current favourite would be what's called a black and white daiquiri. It's coming to the end of blackberry season here in Australia so we're going a bit nuts on them at the moment. To make a black and white daiquiri you start with five blackberries, muddle them up in your shaker and then once that's a nice pulpy juicy mix throw on top of it a shot and a half of coconut rum three quarters of a shot of white rum, a third of a shot of creme de mure, which is a blackberry liqueur, a third of a shot of lime juice, and then just a teensy tiny drop of cane sugar syrup, which if you're making at home, is a two to one sugar to water mix, so a really sweet little hit. And what you end up with is the black of the blackberries, the white of the coconut rum. It's smooth, it's real classy tasting, It's delicious, and while you can get good fresh blackberries, I think everybody needs to give that one a crack, and uh, I'm I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So look me up on The Apprentice Booze Hound on Instagram. Enjoy this episode of Sip With Me, and keep making drinks and having a great time. Thank you. So grab your black and white daiquiri and let's take the stage with Miss Greater Salt Lake and Archive Sunday founder, Sasha Sloan. Welcome back to the episode. We are so excited to have Miss Greater Salt Lake, Sasha Sloan on the podcast. She is a CEO of her own business, Archive Sunday, and the creator of the Noble House of Black series. So Sasha, welcome to Sip With yes, Me. Yes, welcome. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. We'd love to know, first off, um, just a little bit about yourself, how you got into pageants, and everything you're currently working on. Cool. So I am from Salt Lake City, Utah. I grew up in the avenues, kind of by downtown Salt Lake. And the best thing to know about me is that I am a really big nerd. I have always been a nerd. Like As a kid, I was the one on the elementary school playground with a giant backpack 
full of paperback books. <laughs> yes. Friends, like speaking elvish to myself in the corner. That was how I was <laughs> as a kid. And that is still who I am as an adult. Um, I got into pageants when I was about 15. What happened was I have a pretty good family friend named Ellie Smith. And she competed in Miss Teen Nevada and won Miss Nevada's Outstanding Teen. And Ellie and I are pretty similar in a lot of ways. And I remember watching her and thinking, oh my gosh, I can do that, right? If it's a talent, mm -hmm. I sing, so I have a talent. It's an interview. I know I have an interview. And come on, like a little fitness demonstration, a little <laughs> So I myself Googled, is there this thing in Utah? I found the page, I emailed the director, I signed myself up, and then I told my mom, hey mom, wow. by the way, I'm going to do Miss Teen Utah. And to put that into perspective, I have about the least pageanty family you can imagine. Like, my mom, I don't think ever, like, purchased makeup until someone taught her how to in like, <laughs> the 40s. And as a kid, I grew up buck wild in the mountains of Utah. I can catch a fish with my bare hands. I can build a fire with like yes. rocks. Like I, I was a wild child. And so that was pretty surprising to my mom that I wanted to get into pageants of all things. Um, but I think even back then, I knew that a huge portion of what helps you win is the interview. It's definitely won or lost in the interview room and an onstage question. And I was a very awkward teenager and I was not particularly talented Same. in singing, but I always <laughs> knew that I could talk. And so that's what drew me in as a teenager and what brought me back again and again was because I love the interview portion and I love using my voice. So like, what is that like inspiration and motivation that like, you know, lights that fire in you to keep doing pageants, to keep at it, you know, you are, competing in Miss Utah coming up um, and just have that consistency. Uh, what has been that like passion driver for you? I think honestly, as a teenager, I was really looking for validation. I think genuinely, I just wanted somebody to put a crown on my head and tell me that I was pretty and that I was enough. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a really insecure kid and I think that that idea of being Miss Teen Utah or being Miss Utah seemed like it would be validation to fill me up. And as I've gotten older, it's really shifted. At this point, what's brought me back is that when I'm competing, you're really working to become your very best self. Like the, the person that you are at Miss Utah Week is when you're at your fittest, when you're at your most confident, you've prepared for your interview, you know your current events, your talent is polished, like every aspect of you as a person has been honed to become as good as it can possibly be. Mm. And all throughout college, I think when I was really looking for a sense of purpose, Miss Utah and the Miss America organization brought me back to, okay, how am I working to become a better person? And um, really in the last three years, that's definitely shifted as I've shifted the focus of what's called my social impact initiative. So everyone that does pageants typically does a lot of community service. Yeah, I want to ask about that. Yeah, for years I worked a lot with the female leadership community in Utah. I got a grant from the UN Girl Up Foundation. I went to BC and did a leadership symposium there. Did some awesome mentorship programs here in Utah. And then during my last year of competing, when I decided to go back and compete for Miss Greater Salt Lake, I decided 
to shift gears and focus in on the refugee community in Utah. Mm. And that gear shift happened at a really polarizing time for refugees in the United States. Um, during mm. Trump's last year of presidency, they only were allowing 15,000 refugees into the country per year, which was yeah. the lowest in contemporary American history. And so that was a really big driving factor for me to want to get back in and compete one more time because I hadn't really mm. heard of anybody who had done refugee inclusivity as a platform. Yeah. And I really felt like I had a unique set of skills that I could be an advocate and a voice for that particular topic. So I have no background, no knowledge, really anything about pageants. So tell me a little bit about when you are preparing for and competing in a pageant, what is the like pageanty pageant side of that like? And then what is that, you know, I guess, extracurricular, like outside of the actual pageant itself, the community service, the media, all that kind of stuff. Give me both those, those aspects of what your experience has been like. Yeah, totally. It's interesting because the Miss America organization, which is what I compete in, they've actually changed quite a bit in the last oh, three or four years. There's been some big shifts in the competition. So right now it's about half interview and half talent. Those are the, really the two spheres of competition that really matter. And your talent competition, that has been the most grueling part of preparation for me. Um, mm. you're, you're only given 90 seconds, so a minute and a half. And in that 90 seconds, you have to dazzle the judges. It is yeah. your 90 seconds of your absolute best piano, best flute, best dance, whatever it is. And so I've worked with probably three or four vocal teachers and clocked thousands of hours, honestly, at this point, on just honing <laughs> up that part of my voice. You know, I'm, I'm not a professional singer. I didn't do singing in college. Yeah. But that's what's really the competitor in me is having to work on that talent portion. So to me, that's the biggest pageanty piece. You've obviously got your wardrobe, which that takes a certain amount of finesse and style to put together. Mm -hmm. But then most of the preparation is to prepare yourself for the 10 minute interview with the judges. And in that interview, in the Miss America competition, they have two pieces of paper in front of you. One is your resume that details your whole, all of the service that you've ever done, your academic past, all of your career hopes and aspirations and dreams. And then the other is an essay about what you have done and what you will do oh, with your wow. so social impact, which is for me, working with refugees. And in order to be really competitive at the state level or at the national level, the interview isn't just like, oh, let me get to know you, see if you're a nice girl. It is very much, you are pitching yourself for the job and yeah. saying, hey, if I were given the opportunity to use Utah, I would want to partner with Utah Refugee Connection and Utah Workforce Services. And you want to get as specific and quantifiable as you possibly can mm -hmm. with how you will make a social difference in the state. And so um, in terms of like the extracurriculars, you spend your entire year, they call it your year of service, trying to make yourself useful in the community however you can. So for me, when I shifted gears to working with the refugee community, I started with looking up and Googling every single nonprofit post-resettlement refugee agency in Utah, yeah. and then going to their websites, reading all about what they do, and then figuring out ways to fit myself in. Like, could I go tutor a classroom here? Could I go photograph this event for this nonprofit? Could I yeah. promote this fundraiser on social media? 
And so you find ways to plug yourself in and basically become a part-time or a full-time philanthropist for a year as you build out. This yeah. So that's where the, the kind of the pageant is won or lost is can you wow the judges in that 10 minute interview and show them, Hey, like, I don't really want a crown. I want a job. And I want you to give me this organization. That's, you know, a big organization with thousands of people supporting it yep. and put that might behind me and what I want to do in the community. <laughs> it seems stressful. Fulfilling, but it's a very lot. stressful. <laughs> it's a lot. How would you say COVID-19 has affected the pageant? Um, have there been any delays with Miss Utah? Um, and overall, looking into the next week, you know, how are things going to be different at the actual pageant due to COVID? Oh, yeah. Well, so two years ago in 2020, in the spring of 2020, I was gearing up to go compete at Miss Utah and I had spent all of these years preparing and they canceled the competition for an entire year. Oh. And you guys understand for me, that was like a gut punch getting my yeah. feet knocked out from under me. Like it totally took me by surprise, which I mean, first world problems that that's the yeah. hardest thing that I had to deal with in COVID, but it, it truly did. Yeah. A lot for you. So much time and thought. Yeah. And, and I went from that spring and fall, I was going to an event a couple times a week as Miss Greater Salt Lake. I was out in the community. I was hustling. And then suddenly everything shut down. And that's mm -hmm. when I thought, okay, I need to shift gears big time. I need to figure out a different way to impact people to, to do this job. And that's when I got into TikTok because I was at oh. home, nothing to do, wasting away in my parents' basement. <laughs> Yes, I'm in my parents' basement right now. You know, it's the place to be. <laughs> it's a good place. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's where I was in COVID. And actually, the first video that I had really go viral on TikTok that kind of got me my first, I don't know, 20,000 followers or something, was a video documenting my journey to Miss Utah. And I cut together this reel of all of my practice sessions of singing my talent and stuff. And it went to like 7 million views or something. Mm -hmm. And that was the first video that really resonated with people. And from there, I thought, okay, here's my window. I could do this job in a very different way by making videos about my life and business and success and try to represent the organization online in that format instead. I see. I do want to shift to your business um, because yeah. not only do you do pageants, but you have all of these other hustles and things that you are creating and accomplishing and it is truly amazing um tell me about our, <laughs> tell me about archive sunday um and like what it is and like the inspiration behind it and like how you have like leveraged some of your experience and TikTok um to kind of help the business thrive Mm -hmm. So Archive Sunday started from the very beginning, came from the business idea of create a small business that is marketed on fandom social media. Because when I got into TikTok, it very naturally sorted me into Harry Potter and Star Wars TikTok and yeah. I'm there with all the other nerds. <laughs> and I realized 
very quickly that TikTok was taking over as a platform, like it was just skyrocketing, and none of the big brands had gotten onto TikTok yet. Like yeah. I remember looking up the, you know, how big is Hot Topics account? Because that's kind of one of the foremost leaders oh, in fandom. Yes. You know, and like Box Lunch didn't have an account. All of these big businesses hadn't even touched TikTok yet. And I'm sitting here going, I can get videos to go to millions of views for free and nobody's advertising on this platform. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to say I was the genius that thought of advertising on TikTok <laughs> first, but that was one of the first fandom people to start a business on TikTok. Yeah. And so Archive Sunday, the other element that I wanted to incorporate was I wanted to use recycled products in everything that I do because awesome. I know that I was marketing to Gen Z and they're environmentally conscious. And so it started with recycled t-shirts and I, I kind of I had an inkling that it was gonna work to advertise things on TikTok. But I remember we did our first collection, I put it online and within 24 hours it completely had sold out. And I'm like, okay, this works. <laughs> this is a good and business model. So then I, oh yeah. Those were um, like t-shirts. Did you like, did, were you bleach dyeing them or dyeing them somehow? Yeah. Yeah, that was the summer of bleach dye. Yeah, <laughs> I had some of those. <laughs> Charlie Delio, Noah Beck, all of them bleach dye. And I thought, this cannot be that hard, right? You know, I think <laughs> yes. I could do this. So for a solid month of my life, I locked myself in my parents' laundry room and I just made yes. t-shirts all day, every day. And very, very quickly, our site traffic outmatched how fast I could make the t-shirts. And so that's when I decided, okay, we need to expand. We need to do more products. And that's when the collage walls came into the mix. Mm. And t-shirts were awesome, but collage walls was like striking gold. Because I had this idea. I've seen collages all over the internet. I've always had a collage in my room, all through college. Yeah. But I had the idea of, could you represent a fantasy aesthetic in a collage so that kids who love fantasy books can feel like they're immersing themselves in the world on the walls in their bedroom. Can you do it in a cheap way? And so our first collage was called the Ambition Aesthetic. It was very green. It was based off of wizards and kind of my personal aesthetic of hustle and drive and cunning. And we put it up and the first time lapse of that video went viral. And overnight, I, I'm actually so embarrassed because I put up the video before we made the listing on the website and I woke up to angry texts from all of my business partners like, Sasha, I, I didn't think this was going to go viral. Like, we need to get this on the website. And we just thousands of comments like, where can I buy this? Where, 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 where? Because there was just a huge market from it. And the other magic of the collage walls that they advertise themselves because yeah. we sold a lot of the collages to a lot of other content creators on TikTok. And then boom, they're making videos in front of our walls every day. And this product just exploded. So I remember like by, by Black Friday, we rolled out kind of mini kits for the first time. And that week we sold out of all of the matte cardstock paper on the entire West Coast of the United States. Like we could not wow. get more to print more. Kits. Like it was, it was absolutely wild. So um, yeah, collage walls were sort of our signature product that kind of launched our archive and now it's just been growing and growing beautiful i love it tying that into noble house of black 
Kind of tell our audience what that is. I've seen some of the episodes. They are so well done. I mean, it's pretty amazing um, how technical you've gotten and how it's its its own world, which is pretty amazing. Um, so just tell us briefly what it is um, and how you got really inspired to start the series. Yeah. So Noble House of Black was very much inspired by the big Draco talk trend, right? It was this huge thing on TikTok to get into Harry Potter. And I saw a lot of really awesome videos where people would edit themselves into movies to sort of expand the story and create fan fiction. And I have a sister and a cousin that are both professional performers. All three of us have had pretty successful careers with Disney entertainment in the past. We've never worked at the same place at the same time. And they both happen to be in Utah. And I thought, how fun would it be if we got together and cosplayed the three Black family sisters, which are characters that are shown as adults in Harry Potter, but in mm -hmm. the first Wizarding War, it would have been young women in their 20s. And I really liked the idea of female protagonists, complex female characters, and just this interesting prequel to Harry Potter where the sisters start as good friends, then end up on different sides of a very bloody war. So originally it was supposed to be five little one minute videos and we went and filmed three of them at my grandma's house in like two hours at midnight basically. <laughs> and we made these little videos and I thought, oh, what a fun little one-off thing this will be. And we posted them and got the most insane reaction. Like, oh my gosh, people were so excited about it. And I realized that it hadn't really been done to create a full-blown production on TikTok, like with costume setting location. And the format that we made it in was kind of like a silent film. So there's music playing behind us and text on the screen, which made the series very accessible internationally. So mm. House of Black, from those first episodes, garnered a big following of, I think we probably have about 200,000 very dedicated followers of wow. the series around the globe, basically. And it was really cool to get to represent characters that people knew like everyone knows Bellatrix Lestrange but seeing her you know 20 years younger and as a student at Hogwarts I think that was what was really exciting to people. And what are like the future plans with that series I mean with everything that you're doing like you seem to be like I don't know you're not like predicting the future but like you're you're hitting that like magic spot with something right at that right time and you're doing it in a way that really like resonates with people. Um, so with House of Black specifically, what are your plans for it in the future? Oh, that's so nice of you. Um, <laughs> so for House of Black, we just almost finished. We've got two more little episodes. We're about finished with filming season two. And season two will have an episode every single Sunday from now until Black Friday. That's our finale. It's on Black Friday, November. Wow. And then for season three, I'm planning to switch gears a little bit and have them be a series of short films that follow each of the five main characters in the House of Black series. So that's Ooh. what we're tentatively planning for season three. And then I really like sort of this model that we've stepped into of fan fiction. And so our team, which includes Karina, my sister Summer, my sister Brighton, she's a co-owner of Archive and she helps a lot with House of Black. 
um, we are looking into doing a Suicide Squad spinoff with some of the female villains that have and we're also looking into doing I don't know if you guys liked the ending of Game of Thrones I did not <laughs> we've been talking about a series reimagining the ending of Game of Thrones so nice. those are some of the uh, different projects it works and looking at in the future oh, amazing Iwana, do you have any last questions before we move to rapid fire? I just, oh. I think it's so inspiring, honestly. And I, I try not to be cheesy on the podcast, but <laughs> seeing other young women who are just so inspirational, starting your own business, creating this series online, using TikTok during a time where everything was shut down and you had to find a new way to reach your fans and your community is so amazing. Um, I noticed that you were recognized as Utah Business 30 Women to Watch um, for 2021. So congratulations. Um, tell us more about that and really what that meant to you and what have you learned throughout the entire experience of starting your own business? Mm -hmm. So a little bit of background that I think made 30 women to watch a little more special for me is that my mom is also an entrepreneur and my sister is also an entrepreneur and they both have received that award in the past. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so uh. it was something that as a kid, I always dreamed like, wow, maybe someday in my career, I could be cool enough to go get this award. Yeah. And I'm like, this is my first year business. Like, this is so crazy. Um, but I think what the whole journey with Archive has really meant to me is I always have liked this stuff like fantasy and fan fiction and nerdy art and that kind of stuff. And, and candidly, when I was in high school, it kind of got bullied out of me. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I really kind of backed away from those interests and was a little bit embarrassed of the person that I was as a kid because I just, it's a harsh world out there, you know? Mm -hmm. And this last year, I really realized as cheesy as it sounds, there is so much magic in being yourself and like in being your authentic, realist, truest self. And that really is what I think has made my TikTok land with people and Archive Sunday land with people because with Archive Sunday, we're really trying to give representation to the female nerd that is honestly really underserved in the marketplace a lot of the time. Yeah. And with Noble House of Black, I'm out here confidently making Harry Potter fan films in my grandma's backyard with my cousins and siblings. Like I'm doing this as a full grown adult, but I'm having so much fun because it's something that I love. And I think yes. that really Archive Sunday and everything with TikTok has just taught me be yourself because if you're having fun and just shining your light, it will, it will draw other people to you. And it doesn't matter if they think that you look silly because you're having a good time. So just just do you. Yes. Uh, no better way to finish this interview than, than that. Because that's really what we try to do. Um, we're approaching one year of doing this show. And we get really, like, we're just two average, like, Joes in our parents' house. And we try truly to find, like, genuine good people that are making it and doing cool things and feature their story. Um, so thank you for for coming on again and um yeah just like keeping awesome you're like you are the literal embodiment of superwoman so 
Oh my gosh, yeah. you guys are Just so a little nice. Side you. note. <laughs> um, You're so, so nice. We are going to do rapid fire. So rapid fire is something we do with all of our guests. Um, it's basically okay. just a couple of questions where we just want like first thing that comes to your head, whatever your gut answer is. Are you ready? Okay. This is Utah. This is it's great. scary. Every time we have to do it, I like freak out. I'm like, Aaron, I can't do this. But these questions aren't that bad. No. <laughs> All right, Ewan, are you going to go first? Yes. So what's your favorite part of a pageant? Interview. Okay. Are they supposed to be one word answers or long word answers? It can whatever be you want. whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, definitely, definitely interview. Interesting. So, um, which house of Harry Potter do you belong to? Absolutely Slytherin. Yes, However, me too. if I were Slytherin, I would have fought in the Battle of Hogwarts. I feel like that is important. I'm a <laughs> Slytherin, but I'm a nice person. Yes, I feel that for sure. Do you have Wait, a... Actually, can I imagine? this answer oh yeah yes there is an event in miss utah that happens before the actual pageant called the show me your shoes parade and it's based off of a traditional parade that they do in miss america but you're allowed to sort of dress up like your city or something with your personality very much like in hunger games where they have to dress up like their districts but every year i have dressed up as kylo ren and brought my Kylo Ren lightsaber yes. and Kylo Ren in the parade. And so that is actually my favorite part because I'm living my best life in that yes. moment. Yes, so, there we go. <laughs> Arriving. Do you have a favorite service organization or charitable cause? Yes, there is an organization called Movement on the Ground and they were founded by refugees and they service the refugee community on the island of, Le on the island of Lesbos in Greece. Oh yeah, I'm I worked there yeah. in, oh really, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So I worked in the Oria refugee camp for several months okay. as a humanitarian crisis worker. And I really observed firsthand how great movement on the ground is. They do a lot of infrastructure programs, they do training programs for refugees. And so I encourage anybody that has some spare money to throw around, give it to movement on the ground. They're really awesome and run by really cool people. Awesome. Favorite collage that you have created for Archive Sunday? Mm. The light <laughs> side. That one took the longest amount of time. It took almost a year. I think it was eight or nine months oh. of steadily working on it wow. because the light side, since it represents space, we had to do so many cosplay photo shoots, so many trips around the country. We shot in Nevada, we shot in Utah, we shot in Florida. So a lot of different pieces that came together, but the light side collage is my baby right now. And then our podcast always has a cocktail of the week. So do you have a favorite cocktail or it can be a non-alcoholic beverage? That's like your go-to. Oh gosh, my Mormon is showing right now. Let me think. Probably. Oh, you know what? My family goes to this resort in Mexico and they make mojitos that are oh. so good. So oh, we yeah. love mojitos. 
Okay, that's it. It is over. You survived. <laughs> you survived. Yay! Oh my gosh! Yay! That was so fun. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. Last but not least, tell everyone where they okay. can find you, interact with you, um, and yeah, contact you. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram and YouTube at Sasha E Sloan. On YouTube, it's just Sasha Sloan. And you can find Archive Sunday at Archive Sunday on Instagram and TikTok. And then my TikTok account is at Kylo Squash. But I think I might be changing that like next week. So if not, my TikTok account is at Sasha E Sloan. We'll see. Not sure which one of <laughs> but one of the two. Well, Sasha, thank you, thank you again so much. so much for coming on. Um, good luck. Good luck. At Miss Utah. We will be thinking of you and hopefully thank you we guys can, so much for having me. <laughs> hopefully we will circle back around in the future and you will be doing many more big, great, exciting things. And um, we look forward to what is to come from you. This is Sip With Me News. I'm Aaron Carlson. And I'm Ioana Kikados. Here are the things you need to know from this week's headlines. Shares of movie theater chain AMC's stock this week rose more than 100% following continued heightened demand for the mean stock's shares. The pop follows a combination of a continued effort by Reddit users to squeeze up the price and an embrace this week of the stock's pop culture fame by AMC executives as they publicly praised the price increase and even created a special section of their website for investors. And a man in eastern China has contracted what might be the world's first human case of the H10N3 strain of bird flu, but the risk of large-scale spread is low. The 41-year-old man located northwest of Shanghai was hospitalized April 28th and is in stable condition. No human case of H1093 has been reported elsewhere, but the news comes amid heightened awareness of the threat of emerging diseases as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to claim lives around the world. But unlike Unlike with COVID-19, there are global influenza surveillance systems that watch for human cases of bird flu since a strain named H5N1 cropped up in the late 90s in Hong Kong's crowded live poultry markets. And between 2013 and 2017, another bird flu infected more than 1,500 people in China through close contact with infected chickens. With that history, authorities aren't surprised to see occasional human cases of various bird flu strains, and they monitor closely for any signs one is spreading between people. And in major international news this week, with just 38 minutes to spare, a coalition of Israeli political parties announced Wednesday night they had agreed to a deal to form a new government, paving the way for the exit of Israel's longest-serving prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. The coalition will need to pass a vote of approval and still needs to be sworn in, but it does appear that Netanyahu's government will come to an end after 12 years. Two leaders came together to make it happen, a leader of a centrist party and a leader of a right-wing party, who agreed to partner up and will split the four-year term of prime minister into two with the other serving as a minister. 
And shifting to some exciting space news, NASA has decided to send two new missions to Venus, making it the first time the agency will go to this scorching hot world in more than three decades. The news has thrilled planetary scientists who have long agreed that Venus deserves more attention because it could be a cautionary tale of a pleasant Earth-like world that somehow went horribly awry. Venus has been called Earth's evil twin because it is about the same size as Earth and probably was created out of similar matter, and it might have even had at one time oceans of liquid water. But Venus appears to have suffered a runaway greenhouse effect. Temperatures at its surface now exceed 800 degrees Fahrenheit, and its atmosphere is toxic to humans. And while rovers on Mars have sent back lots of vivid images showing the stark beauty of this particular red planet, images of the surface of Venus are hard to come by. The heat and intense pressure simply obliterate spacecraft. Still, some researchers have proposed that life might eke out an existence on Venus by residing up in its slightly less hostile yet highly acidic clouds. Just last year, one group said it had detected signs of a gas known to be linked to life in the planet's hazy atmosphere. These Venus missions could be ready to launch in 2026, but the exact timing is still to be determined. And those are your headlines for the week. Be sure to tune in next week for the news that you need to know now. Thanks for listening to Sip With Me with Ioana and Aaron. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, sipwithme.org. There you can find our recently released cocktail book, as well as other exciting Sip With Me content. And if you love our podcast, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on social at sipwithme underscore. And be sure to join us next week for an interview with the one and only Caroline Crawford, viral TikToker known for her amazing wedding content.